Hey guys, welcome back to the Lou Perez podcast. My name is Lou Perez. If you'd like to support my work, please head over to thelouperez.locals.com and join the Lou Perez community. You'll get to listen to my podcasts and watch my sketch comedy videos before I release them to the rest of the world. And you'll also have access to exclusive content for members only. And if you're looking for another way you can support me, you can do so by supporting my sponsors, Black Organic Cold Brew. Just head over to www.blvckbrew.com and use promo code LOU for free shipping. And if you're into CBD products, please check out Paloma Verde CBD. Head over to palomaverdecbd.com and use promo code LOU for 25% off purchases over $75. All right, here we go. It's me, Lou Perez, and I'm very happy to be joined by Ankit Shukla, who uh, reached out to me because one of the most important developments in modern memory has to be in regards to The Simpsons, and more specifically, the problem with a poo. Uh, so, Ankit, you definitely have uh, some thoughts on it. Um, you know, for, uh, right off the bat, though, you know, can you tell us a little bit, uh, a little bit about yourself, where, uh, uh, where you're from, and and uh, and what you do, and all that? Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, first of all, you know, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, it was kind of you to have me on here, so I always appreciate that. Um, but yeah, the um, yeah. I, I mean, originally, obviously, my family's from India. I was born there, but we moved to the States when I was a year old. So, you know, basically grew up here since I was a small kid. Uh, grew up in Nevada, Sparks, Nevada, and lived there until I finished college. I went to nursing school. And then shortly after nursing school, I actually pretty much right after nursing school, I just said, you know, I can uh, work anywhere in the country. And so why, not, why don't I just take advantage of that? <laughs> so that's what I did. I worked in a couple different states and then I started travel nursing did oh, that for is, 10 years what is that what's travel nursing yeah so travel nursing um you you know, obviously there's you know nursing shortages everywhere you know especially you know over that last year when we had that pandemic and we had certain hot spots in the country but you know um travel nurses basically go to different areas of the country whether it's hospitals clinics or and, you know, and pretty much all different specialties where they have critical staffing needs and a traveling nurse will fill in for a few months until uh, the facility can um, basically get their regular staff um, filled up, you know, and, and they'll have, they'll be short staffs for whatever reason, you know, they have a mass exodus, a lot of people quit, you know, you know, the, you've probably heard those stories about, you know, uh, various hospitals in the country where, you know, nine nurses all of a sudden be, became pregnant at the same time. Oh, really? You know, was it the know, same, and, was it the same guy, same dude? who? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Well, I don't know. I didn't get into that story, but. <laughs> but it's no, a very handsome, think. very handsome doctor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, yeah, there's um, various reasons why facilities will go through a critical staffing need. Some, some are perpetually short. And that's when you look at that in, look at it in that regard, you know, it's usually a facility problem. Uh, that causes people not to want to stay there very long but yeah so but basically yeah traveling nurse will come in and fill in for a short period of time until uh until the facility can get their own regular staff up and going full-time right. or part-time whatever they need so you're so you're a person who deals with um with life and death situations um mm -hmm. you help people you mm -hmm. uh, are a, are an important integral part to uh to the country, the duties that, that you carry out. 
How did you get involved in the um, controversy of Apu and the Simpsons? And, and maybe you could talk about, maybe you could just uh, maybe give a little bit of a, you know, a brief recount uh, of what happened with Apu over the past, you know, few years. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, as a kid, I mean, I, I mainly grew up in the nineties, which when the Simpsons was at the height of its popularity, um, haven't really seen it much since then, but uh, yeah, I, I hear, know. I hear it was also in the nineties. It was at the top of its game too. Uh, yeah. And then you yeah. have another like 20 years of, I haven't watched yeah. it either. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then um, yeah, obviously Apu was a pretty, not, I mean, not a main character, but a fairly major character, I would say. And there were a lot of, you know, as more shows got, went on, we learned more about Apu. He wasn't just that, you know, quickie mart owner with the goofy accent. We, you know, even as we watched more episodes, we learned that, hey, you know, he was, he came from India. He was an immigrant. He came on a student visa, I believe. He was highly educated in India at one of the top engineering colleges. He continued his studies in the United States. Uh, couldn't find a job or either couldn't find a job or I don't know, for whatever reason, he couldn't work in his field. Um, so he got a job as a, you know, working at a Quickie Mart, became a Quickie, Quickie Mart owner. And um, yeah, and um, we learn also that he's a hardworking guy. He basically works nonstop. Uh, as the show went on, he, we learned that, hey, he's a good family man. He's a good friend. Um, he's got all these great qualities. And in, on many episodes, he was really the integral part of the story. And so as we watch those episodes, you learn a lot about Apu and just his diverse background, his character. I mean, a lot of good character development, I think. And I think he's kind of, I mean, I'm, I mean, this is anecdotal, but I kind of think he was one of the more lovable and popular characters on the show. Um, I mean, I'm just guessing based on what I've heard and what people have said about him. And so, you know, um, of course, you know, I certainly as a kid, I took my share of, you know, teasing based on Apu, you know, it's say, hey, you know, the funny accent, the, this and that, but his story, what really I found interesting about Apu's story is that it, it mirrors a lot of the stories, of a lot of Indian people, not, not just Indian people, but immigrants in general, people who did were in other professions back home. And for whatever reason, they couldn't continue, they came to America, they couldn't continue working in their field, whether they were a doctor, engineer, or another type of professional back home. So they, basically have to you know work whatever whatever job they could to survive and but still create that american dream uh that was really true of a lot of immigrants in general so i think they did a good job capturing that aspect of apu as well and you know the funny accent kind of the goofy personality you know a little you know play on humor of some of the indian culture i i, I just thought that was all done in good fun i never thought it was offensive my parents whenever they would watch the simpsons with me and watch apu they thought it was pretty funny too and they really liked the way certain parts of the Indian culture were uh, um, incorporated into the show um, I think Apu he went to a college called uh, Caltech Cal Calcutta Technical okay something <laughs> and that uh, and you know my parents you know recognize that name like oh yeah hey that's pretty major college out there I think yeah so it's uh so, so yeah so, so 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 it seems like the real um you know a, a few years back the controversy really came to a head with a a documentary by um, uh, activist comedian Hari Kondabalu, uh, yeah. who made a documentary called "The Problem with Apu." Um, and for those of you uh, 
who are familiar with my work uh, at We the Internet TV, I did a parody, produced a parody called The Problem with Bumblebee Man, uh, which um, the, uh, the bit being that, you know, Hari had inspired me to call out the Simpsons on their racism towards Hispanics who dress like bumblebees. Um, and there were a number of bits in the, in the video that I mirrored, uh, that, that we, we, we did exact parodies with, with Hari. And there's a particularly gross scene in, in Hari's documentary where 9-11 happens and they do this really cheap effect where it's it's him looking at the camera and he's wearing glasses and in his glasses you could see the twin towers uh engulfed in flames and it was that moment according to him that he decided he had to speak out about a poo you know so it's sort of like national tragedy inspires activist comedian to speak out about uh about a poo what, what did what what was your take of uh of hari's uh doc that, that yeah that was very weird i um i i was I, I thought that was awkward how he was making that connection and he was almost it was almost he was um where he it, it was kind of that offshoot that i was confused about because he was almost because you know 9 11 and you can't deny this but a lot of people of indian descent like myself um, that were working in convenience stores were getting attacked. Right. Uh, people of sick culture, wear, you know, wearing the turbans and, you know, people just, you know, ignorant people just don't know, right. you know, they're, you know, they're just attacking innocent people for no reason. And that, that was happening post 9-11 um, quite often. And, you know, and my parents, you know, I was worried about my parents too, because they were, they're kind of sitting ducks, you know, and they're, they, you know, they, Surprise, surprise, my parents also owned a convenience store. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, they were kind of sitting ducks in their own store. So I certainly had that fear that, hey, something was going to happen to them at some point. I wasn't so much feared for me because, you know, I'm, I'm not a tough guy or anything. But if it ever came to that, I feel like I could, I could handle myself to a certain degree. Right. But um, but yeah, it was kind of weird. I felt like he was kind of blaming Apu for the reason that a lot of those Indian or, you know, even Muslim people that were getting attacked in grocery stores or attacked in the convenience stores. I've almost felt like he was blaming Apu for that to a certain degree. I could have that wrong, but that's kind of the impression I got from that. And I just, yeah. And it was very weird. And when that documentary came out, I was very confused. Like, wait a minute, uh, Apu's a offensive stereotype. I never, or a racist stereotype. I never felt that. that so that's when I watched the documentary, I heard it, I heard people talking about it either on a radio show or podcast. And I said, no, let me check this out. So I did. And I said, okay, well, it, it was a good documentary. I, I admit I enjoyed it. And he made some interesting points, but overall I definitely disagreed with what he was saying. And so how the, and yeah, so I basically, that's when I kind of felt like I needed to respond in my own manner. <laughs> uh-huh. And you did, you wrote, you wrote a book. Yes. Right? Yeah. And, yeah. And actually how that happened was, uh, I actually, because I do my own podcast, it's like a motivational style podcast that I was also doing then. And I actually wanted to invite Hurry on there to kind of have a discussion, or we could even have just our discussion on another platform, whatever he wanted. So I had messaged him on Twitter to, you know, see if we can make that happen. And, you know, I'm not, I wasn't a name or anything. I'm still not a name yet. So it's like, eh, whatever. But, you know, I, I thought it was a long shot. But then I got a message saying, you know, that I'm blocked for messaging the person. Oh really? Or something like that on Twitter. Wait, were you 
were you rude or anything? Like, did you, no, did no, you call no, him an no. asshole or anything like that? Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, actually I'll, I'll even uh, send you the uh, message. I sent him if I can still find it. I think I can still find it on Twitter. I uh, I'll send you the message. I was, ve- I was about as polite as you can be. And I just said, Hey, you know, uh, hurry. I saw your documentary, you know, it was, I enjoyed it. I really want to have a discussion with you. Let's, you know, do something let's either on my podcast or a platform you want to be on. And no, I was very, I was about as polite as you could be. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, basically just the same way I messaged you as well on the emails and, um, you know, but basically I got that message saying I was blocked and I don't know if, I don't know if he put that because, Hey, he just gets a lot of messages and didn't want to hear from anybody mm-hmm. or if he personally didn't like what I was asking him. So I don't know, but I remember I got that blocked message and I said, okay, well, something clicked in me maybe a day or two later. I said, you know what? I'm a, I'm an author. Uh, hey, let me write a book countering his claim. <laughs> yeah. And, and what's, um, what's the title of the book? Just so um, the listeners can, yeah. can go check it out. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, it's called I Love You Apu. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, I'm currently in the, um, I'm currently right now transitioning uh, publishers. Uh, so I'm actually in the process of moving all of my books to my new publisher. So if anybody wants to reach out, is interested in my book, they can either reach out to me and I can always, you know, they can get a copy for me directly while I have a few. And then once I have the book transitioned to the new publisher, I can let them know as well. And what, what, what's the response been to, uh, to your book? Have you received any um, invitations to come on a podcast and you're like, I got to block this guy? <laughs> have you had the same similar experience as, uh, as Hari? Um, no, no, actually I've had good responses when I've, whenever I've discussed it on the podcast, um, or to anybody else. No, my, um, my response has been good. I mean, I, I wouldn't say I've had like a mass, I I mean, my book hasn't become like, you know, internationally or nationally famous yet, but you know, the responses I have gotten, you know, they said, Hey, you know, you presented your argument very well in a, you know, respectful manner. And, you know, I really enjoyed what you had to say. That's mainly been the response. And, you know, most of the people who read my book have said, hey, you know, I really agreed with what you said. I normally don't agree with everything in a book, but I kind of agreed with everything you said. And of course, there were the people that were already in disagreement with Hari. So, yeah, well, I think one of the uh, one of the biggest criticisms that that I made in writing, I wrote an article on um, uh, for Spike magazine. It was the first article I'd, I'd written for Spike magazine where I plugged the parody that I made, but also um responded to uh to the documentary and one of the criticisms is that there is a lack of interviews with people like your parents who actually run convenience stores which to me just seems like the obvious necessary conversation that needs to be had is with people who run convenience stores and i uh and i know one of the charges is that there's there's a very strong like classist element here where it's sort of like it seems like Hari wants to get away from the reality of you know working class immigrants and the people that he ends up having conversations with are like either entertainers or you know other Indian Americans who are working in uh in Hollywood or or entertainment but it's like no no there there are real people who uh you know who own businesses who are who are working class, and I posit that the reason why you didn't want to talk to them is because they would say, oh, "No, we have like real shit to worry about." We're, 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 we either we don't care about a poo, or like you say with your parents, like, "Oh yeah, we actually thought that was cute." 
Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it, it was funny because I, 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 of course, there's a documentary and he wanted to get his point across. So I, you know, I, I'm sure, I don't know if he ever at any point interviewed any Indian person that did disagree with him and they just left it out. Or, or if he, you know, purposefully seeked out people that would agree with him. You know, obviously a documentary, it's going to try to be one-sided in most regard. Right. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I agree with that because I, yeah, there are plenty of, and actually, if you look at YouTube, there's plenty of Indian people countering him, you know, small-time YouTubers and stuff, you know, countering um, Hari's claim and saying, hey, you know, <laughs> you know, I don't know what you're talking about here. Uh, one, um, you know, and it was, yeah, it was really interesting because, yeah, why he didn't have certain, uh, you know, uh, people from a different viewpoint on his show. And one thing, one argument I kind of made in my book was, you know, the fact that one of the beefs they had was he was the only representation of Indian people. And when Apu came around, there, I mean, there weren't any Indian entertainers, you know, outside of Bollywood. You know, in the Western world, there really weren't any Indian entertainers. Now we have, you know, several. Right. And I think a lot of them may have been inspired by being different from Apu, different than Apu. And, you know, that's one thing, you know, that, hey, you could give credit to Apu for uh, kind of inspiring people to kind of go a different path. And, you know, even Hari himself said, you know, uh, at one point, hey, I was watching Apu and I didn't really, I wanted people to view and did people a different way. So he himself went and became a comedian. And so, you know, that Apu in a way kind of inspired him to do something with his, something different with his life. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I, yeah. That, that is interesting to inspiring, inspiring to do something, but it seems like he inspired him to become a, uh, an adult crying over a cartoon character uh, yeah. later, later, later in life. And I, and I, I definitely, you know, I've dug into, uh, um, into Hari and his work and in particular because of this uh, because of this documentary and that there was a there was a great thread I remember going on on Twitter it was from another um, Indian American whose uh, parents owned a convenience store and he found you know the the similarities between his own dad and Apu and just telling these amazing stories about what it was like to be a you know a first generation American Indian American mm -hmm and the stuff that his dad went through and i i found it and i i um it, it made a lot of sense to me and I, and I could you know i had a lot of i don't know if it's sympathy or empathy because my dad is an immigrant my dad is a is a business owner he owns a he owns a butcher shop and those kinds of stories you know like like there's a reason why my dad you know uh, my dad worked so hard so we could become something that we wanted to be right so he would love my dad would have loved to if i had become a lawyer or a doctor i think the lawyer thing is definitely the one that he always wanted me to to become instead i became a, a comedian and a and a writer actually i want to ask you like did your parents ever give you uh ever give you shit where like you're a nurse why aren't you a doctor why aren't you a surgeon did they ever did they, did they ever do that um i mean they certainly wanted me, me to become a doctor they were happy that i was going into nursing because it's also a great you know career path to choose Right. Um, they certainly wanted me to continue my education um, to become a doctor or, or, you know, something, you know, a high level professional. And a lot of that, it wasn't just about money, but, you know, with the India, like I said, it's, there's still, even though supposedly the caste system is no longer there, the attitude is still there that, hey, you know, the doctors and engineers are the, you know, the cream of the crop. It's, right. 
you know, but yeah, so they certainly wanted that just not just for money, but also I think, you know, just for status as a status symbol. But I mean, they no, they've been happy with where I've come and you know, the fact that I've even with a full-time nursing career and all that, I've still, you know, become an, an author and a freelance writer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're, they're happy with where I am and, you know, married to a great wife, all of that. So, that's awesome. you know, it, it's, it, yeah, no, they've been happy. And, you know, one of the, one of the things I wanted to point out, Lou, um, one of my favorite parts, and I've actually mentioned, first of all, I mentioned, I'm glad you brought that up about the Indian American who made that thread on Twitter. Cause that's actually one of the points I made in my book, you know, Hey, you know, if you're, you have a problem with Apu, you have a problem with my dad, because his dad, my, his story highly mirrors Apu's story. You know, my dad studied electrical engineering in India. When he came to America, he continued his studies. Unfortunately, the place we were living, the jobs just weren't that plentiful. And I think he was also kind of backstabbed by certain people that he knew, Mm. unfortunately, which, you know, that's a story for another day, but, um, you know, but he never could find work in his particular, their field in the area we were living we could possibly move and find work but at that time it was you know hindsight being 20 at that time you know it was not something you could really do or not didn't think when you're you know when you're in the thick of things it's hard yeah. to really think about stuff like that you're you're just thinking about making money surviving keeping a roof over your kids heads yeah how, how big was your foot on the table. how big was your family at the time uh, just my brother and me and my parents, of course. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, so nothing major. And then, um, but yeah, I mean, we still, they did whatever they could to survive. They, we never, even with the, whatever they made, we never missed a meal, always had a roof over our heads and they never missed a bill payment, which is great. And I'm surprised they did that with the amount of money they actually made, which, yeah. <laughs> you know, I learned later on in life, but yeah, I mean, nonetheless, I mean, my dad's story mirrors, Hari's story very heavily. I mean, he would work in casinos or wherever he would find work. Eventually he, you know, opened a convenience store and, you know, we had a fairly decent life when he was, it was a lot of hard work, but, you know, he was able, we were able to survive on that for, you know, 11 years before they sold it. And with the selling, they were able to pay off all their debt, their house and everything. Um, So, which was really nice, but yeah, I mean, but one of my favorite parts of the documentary was actually when he was talking to his parents and I thought, I mean, his parents were very genuine, I thought, yeah. in the dog, especially his mom. I mean, his dad, I don't think, really said anything. But <laughs> his mom was, uh, you know, his mom was very genuine in the way she spoke. And it, it made sense what she was saying. Um, you know, when you're immigrants or when you just don't have the power, the connections, I mean, you do have to eat a lot of shit, you know, excuse my language. But, you know, you just sometimes in order to get ahead, you do have to kind of really bite your tongue and just keep moving forward until you can be in a position where you can, um, where, where you can speak out or, yeah. you know, uh, or hurry, you know, he's in a much better position than his parents. So, you know, I, I applaud him for at least, you know, understanding that, Hey, he does have a platform. He's much better off and he does have a voice to speak. Unlike his parents, you know, if, for example, if his parents had faced a lot of discrimination when they came or which I'm sure they did, um, you know, they probably did not have the voice and the power and the connections to speak out against it. They just had to do what they had to do to survive. But Hari is a better Hari is in a better position. I mean, the country's you know definitely progressed a lot over the years. Um, he's better off financially, so he has definitely more of the power to speak mm-hmm. against it. But I think um, I don't think Apu was really someone that uh, needed to be spoken against. If that mm-hmm. makes sense, I thought that was a very like I said, I thought it was still a very you know appropriate. St- 
you know, caricature of an Indian person. I mean, obviously hyperbolic for comedic purposes, but nonetheless still a very good and diverse character. Yeah, on, on the, uh, you know, on the issue of, you know, being new immigrants, you know, if you mm-hmm. think about it, like I'm 39, uh, how old are you? 37. 37. Okay. Yeah. So we're, you know, we're, we're about the same age, right? So yeah, that means yeah. that, that means that when you came here, right, you came here 37 years ago, 37 mm-hmm. years ago, mm-hmm. right? That yeah. that's, would that technically be like, kind of like two generations or something like that? If we take, you know, like say, you know, 40, you know, 40 years ago or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, and just looking at that, it seems like, you know, every new group of immigrants that comes to the United States has to deal with, you know, mm-hmm. some form of, of adversity. So it's, yeah. you know, when the Irish came, when the Italians came, and now, yes. you know, when, when the Indians came, when uh, Puerto Rican, you know, well, I don't know if Puerto Rico was there, but, but, but when, when Hispanics came, um, you know, having to deal with adversity, not saying that it's right, but it's yeah, sort yeah, of, of like these, it's sort of like these growing pains that you have to deal with. When my dad came here, he didn't speak a lick of English, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and my dad, you know, being a, being a butcher, like this dude was like, sometimes literally fighting every day, literally having like fist fights because people really? trying to take advantage of him because he don't, he doesn't speak the, the language all and, and having to, you know, assert himself. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, you know, you're talking like 40 years, you know, later there, not, not only, you know, not only are we seeing more, uh, you know, Indian representation in entertainment, but we're mm-hmm. also seeing more Indian representation in the population. Right. The yes, fact that yes. the fact that, you know, people will be going to a doctor and there's a good chance that their doctor may be Indian, you know, yes. uh, and that's and that's a, a really, you know, I think a, a really important, you know, important thing to, to keep in mind, um, especially yes. for, you know, new immigrants who, who are coming coming here here, too. It's like, you know, like you said, you might have to eat some shit and that's not right. But we can, we can progress, you know, we can come get to yes. a better, a better place for sure. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, going off the, oh, I'm sorry, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, 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 go ahead. Good. I, I just wanted to capitalize on what you said about the Indian representation. I mean, can you go anywhere in the country, almost even in a small town and not find a yoga studio? Uh-huh. I mean, guess where <laughs> yoga's from? I mean, India, I mean, yoga is one of the most popular activities in the world. And, um, you know, there's different variations of it now yeah. across the world. And I've seen things about, you know, wine yoga or goat yoga and all, all sorts of, you know, hip hop yoga, you know, so I mean, and then, you know, Indian food is becoming so popular and well, dude, people can, love it, Indian food. Yeah. Well, well I got to say like, so, so the first time that I ever had Indian food, um, it was with my college roommate, Siddhartha. So Siddhartha and he had a twin brother. I forget what his brother's name was, but um, they were, they were Punjabi. And they were mm-hmm. studying at NYU and okay. Siddhartha was my roommate uh, freshman year. So I went out with Siddhartha, his brother, and a couple of his other, his other friends. Uh, so Siddhartha and his, and his brother were from India. And then his friends were, were Indian Americans. And it was the first time I ever had Indian food. So mm-hmm. I, the first time I had Indian food was when I was like 18 or 19 years on this planet. Right. So for the right, first right, 19 right. years of my planet, I never, I never had an idea of what, of what mm-hmm. vindaloo was or a curry to begin with. I didn't know what a curry was. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so even something as simple as that, I think is a huge, it's a big thing. It was a big thing in my life, you know, to be experiencing something uh, for the first time. And now I can't, I can't go a year without having Indian food. 
are you insane? Are you, are you kidding me? Um, but it, it reminded, it reminded me of something I'm really embarrassed about or ashamed. I think it's a, a I think it's a shame thing. And it happened when I was a kid, right? So I wish there was a part of me that could let it go, but I'm very ashamed by this. And it's this, uh, I was living in Woodside, Queens. So I was probably like, you know, eight years old or something like that. And we were living in an apartment building and it was Halloween and we were trick-or-treating, you know, going, you know, all the way to the top floor and then trick-or-treating all the way down to every apartment. And, mm-hmm. you know, we went to one apartment and it opened up and who was there, but an Indian family. So it was an Indian mom and she had, a, I think a little son or daughter with her. And she was so happy to be able to give candy out. Mm-hmm. Right. But me as a kid and dealing, you know, I, I guess, I guess, yeah, I guess a little bit, a little bit racist for, for a child turned my back and wouldn't accept any candy from her because there was um, a, a particular like cooking smell that was coming, that was coming through. And I was taught, you know, or taught, or I, I, I don't know, I'm not necessarily taught, but it was sort of like in the atmosphere of where I was growing up that, oh, Indian smell or Indian, you know, or that food is gross or something like that. So there was, there was like a, like a, like they were like, this woman was dirty and I couldn't accept her thing. And I was a kid, I was eight years old. It was a stupid, it was, like I said, ashamed yeah. of it. So stupid. Um, but that sits with me because it's like, oh man, mm-hmm. even as a child, I was a part of this really, this really yeah. disgusting thing. Something that I would experience myself with racism, mm-hmm. you know, with being, yeah. for being, you know, for having a, a Spanish last name and being called, you know, um, all these, uh, all these terrible mm-hmm. things. But um, but you know, I, I, mean, I guess it's something I would I would point out is, you know, uh, where technically you know our ancestors are from very different parts of the globe, but yet in the United States we have similar experiences just from the very yes. nature of of being you know the children of immigrants or an immigrant yourself. Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing people don't talk about, and you know, I don't want to make it because I mean obviously ninety plus percent of the people I've ever met in this world have been beautiful people. You're very lucky. <laughs> Hold on. I think we, uh, we just froze for a little bit. We just froze for a little bit. If you want to just take that, uh, take that oh, line yeah. again. Yeah. Do you, oh, you sure. said, I was just saying, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was just saying, yeah. I mean, I would say, and I, I'm kind of a optimistic person. So if even maybe someone did treat me poorly, I may not have noticed or cared, but you know, I'm kind of an internal optimist. I try to see the good in people. So, I mean, I would say the majority of people that I've met in this world have treated me well, at least from my perspective, at least to, to my face. Um, but, you know, of course you get the people who treated others poorly. And I, one thing people don't talk about is you were just mentioning, you know, inter-minority racism. And I mean, I honestly, I, the thing you did as a kid, I don't really consider that. I mean, yeah, you were kind of a product of racism around you. But I wouldn't call you racist because you didn't. You were a kid. You didn't know any yeah. better. Uh, so I mean, I wouldn't call you. I would not call a small kid a racist. They're they're more of a product. You know, when you if you were got older and still had the right, didn't right. change those viewpoints, then of course there's more of a problem. But I mean, as a kid, you were just a product of your environment at the time, which is unfortunate. But I mean, it happens. You know, like you know, if I had if I met a child of a KKK member. You know, they're doing the white power schools. I would not call that. I would not be mad at that kid. I wouldn't call them a racist, but I would be, 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 you know, kind of upset at the situation they are in and feel very bad for them. Um, And hopefully that they will grow out of it. I mean, my my whole thing is, 
but I was talking, sorry, I'm going on all these tangents, but, no, but my whole, my whole thing was, you know, inter-minority racism. People talk about white on minority racism, whatever that may be. And that, it, which is a huge problem, but you know, there's also, there is a lot of inter-minority racism. I mean, you yourself, I'm being Hispanic. You said Argentina. Yeah. yeah I mean, you probably, I mean, there's, I don't know if, I mean, you've probably seen there's people from different Latin countries don't like each other in a lot of manners, people uh, from different Asian <laughs> countries don't like each other D- I mean, during uh during the world cup um i think it was yeah. two world cups ago i met up with um a friend of mine who he's from argentina and his two other friends who from argentina who are from argentina and they refused to watch the world cup in spanish because all the announcers were mexican and they ah, could and they well no no but it wasn't because it's like they couldn't stand the way Mexican Spanish sounds. Oh. So, so instead, instead we watched it in English, which was good, which was great for me because my, I don't, I don't speak Spanish fluently. So that, you know, so that, that was a, you know, that, that, that was a positive for, for me, but it was interesting where it's like, really, you guys, it's like, oh man, it hurts my friggin' ears just to, just to hear it. But that was just a, um, a one example. I think Argentina has quite, has, has that kind of relationship with a number, <laughs> with a number of yeah. Latin American countries. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, you go to different, um, I mean, like, you know, like, you know, there's certain parts of the country, you know, yeah, yeah, Latino people and black people won't get along or black people and his, you know, Asians, and there's just so much interminor, which is a shame. I mean, I hate all of it. You know, I just, I'm someone that tries to love everybody. And you're, you're probably the same way in a lot of ways. Sure. But you know, just try to love everybody, but um, love everybody or stay away. Like, yeah, like, you know, it's yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, just keep my distance. Yeah. 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 I, like, yeah, I, yeah. I'm not a, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a highly confrontational person. I mean, I love to have conversations, but you know, Hey, if, if I don't like someone, Hey, or they don't like me, then yeah, we don't have to cross paths if we don't yeah. have to. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, it's a, uh, it's interesting. I, yeah, but um, yeah, it's been interesting. I think, and I think like people like you, you and me who, yeah, like, like you said, as we were growing up, we experienced a lot of the, maybe not so much hatred, but maybe confusion and all that that came with being newer immigrants. And then when we see newer immigrants uh, come from other countries, now that we're older, we can kind of remember those pastimes and change our mindset and say, hey, you know, let's be a lot more welcoming to the the people that want to legitimately come here and change their lives, create better lives for themselves and their families and contribute to the country and make the country a more, uh, you know, prosperous place. Yeah. So, you know, that's, I think, I think as time goes on and we become more amalgamated, I hope, you know, that we can, uh, you know, become, become a lot more like that and, um, you know, continue to, I mean, we've, we already have in a lot of ways, but I hope we can, um, you know, become that way even, you know, further down the line. Yeah. You know, with, uh, with I think like the big problem with a poo, I think more than anything comes down to the accent. And I remember yes. Hank Azaria talking about it, you know, some years back, just saying like, you know, it was it was basically like the thickest stereotypical accent that he could, um, you know, that he could put on. And there seems to be, you know, quite a um, an aversion to that accent. And and I, I one of the digs that I made with. Um, that I made against Hari in his documentary was, you know, this whole time in the doc, he was saying, nobody sounds like a poo. Nobody sounds like a poo. But then we watched the interview with his parents and I'm like, I don't know. I mean, they have pretty thick accents 
One yeah. could say that they actually sound like a poo. And I wasn't doing it as a put down. Like my, right, right, right. my dad has a really thick accent. Like with mm -hmm. my dad, I be, I'm basically bilingual in that I speak English and I speak my dad's version of English. So I'm able to, <laughs> to understand. so it's a, it's a problem with, uh, you know, a lot of people who meet him for the first time don't understand what, you know, what he's saying. And, you know, he could get frustrated with that. Um, but I love his accent. I love accents in general. I love, yeah. you know, trying to play with those with, with characters and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, but like with, a, with a poo, it's like, you know, why is it that if I were to put on, a stereotypical French accent, like, you know, that would be okay. That would be sexy even, right? Mm -hmm. But if you put on a stereotypical, like, you know, that the kind of accent you would hear from, uh, a, uh, you know, an IT guy on the phone, who's, you know, coming from, you know, uh, you know, from, uh, you know, from, from the Indian subcontinent, suddenly it's like, Ooh, that's something to be embarrassed about. It's, it's, it's amazing how we just, you know, how those decisions are made or like what, what's a cool yeah. accent and what's not a cool accent. Yeah. 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 And you know, yeah. A lot of people, yeah, like an Italian or British or you, like I said, French, I mean, they're kind of, uh, yeah, they're kind of considered more cool or maybe, yeah. you know, attractive. But yeah. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't know what a, I'm not sure what an Argentinian accent sounds like. I don't know if I've ever, I'm sure maybe I've heard one, but I don't, I can't recall what, what, what well, it would well, sound like, but well, well, I've, my dad has a really, it's a, his accent is very weird because he's from Argentina, but he's not from Buenos Aires. He's from uh, San Miguel de Tucumán. So he, ha, he already has a different accent than what, what, what you would, you would find with a, someone for, I think they call it like Porteño for someone from Buenos Aires. So he has that. And then he works, his butcher shop is in Spanish Harlem. Right. So for years, his big influence as far as, you know, people communicate with, with Puerto Rican. Right. So he's got Puerto mm -hmm. Rican, Puerto Rican. But then over the years, he has a very strong Mexican influence as well. So, mm -hmm. you know, uh, so it's 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 a uh, it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting mix. And I've, I've when when he and I visited Argentina some, some years back, mm -hmm. um, I had sort of like a like a young kid who was kind of a guide to me uh, in my dad's hometown and he he was studying english so this was a great opportunity for him to you know practice his english and he was even trying to describe my dad's accent in spanish too because he said it's like yeah like your dad your dad sounds venezuelan but he uses mexican words you know so it's an inter it's an interesting thing you know it's, it's just a it, i think it, it adds a lot of flavor yeah and color yeah. to, you know, to the world and my experience. And I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, yeah, yeah. But I don't necessarily know if someone would hear my dad speaking and be like, oh, that's a sexy Latin accent, you know, because yeah. it's probably not. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, I'll, I'll decide after I hear him speak. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. So he still owns his, but so he still owns his butcher shop. Yeah. He's kind of like, oh. um, you know, semi-retired. I, I feel like, oh, yeah. I feel like, I feel like both my parents, they, they really enjoy having things to complain about, you know, like that's a big part of their lives. So I don't think my dad is ever going to pull out fully from the, from the business because it's an opportunity, you know, for stuff to be done that he doesn't like. It's like, why are they doing this? Why are they doing, you know, why are they doing it like this? Um, but, but yeah, but, but, you know, it's also, you know, part of uh, who he is. I mean, you know, you build, he took over the business 
back in the eighties and built it up into a really successful um, uh, institution in, in the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. And it's something I'm really proud of him for. This dude didn't graduate yeah. high school, you know? And, and I, I think it, it's a similar thing, like with the classist shit where it's sort of like, oh, if you don't, you know, if you don't graduate college, then you're not to be respected. You know, if you're not a doctor, you're not to be respected. It's like, fuck that, man. Like the people who, who, you know, run these uh, convenience stores, they, they have stories to tell, they have knowledge. Um, and yeah, uh, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of people like your, your parents in particular. So. Yeah, and I mean, I re- speaking of that, I, mean, I'm, I read this great book a few years back, it's called like The Wealthy Barber. It's basically like a story about, uh, you know, how different people go to their barber and basically get like, you know, financial advice and things like that, you know, from their barber. So it's kind of cool. And, you know, sp- speaking on, um, you know, I love you, Apu, there's actually a pretty cool project I'm working on. Yeah, please tell us. Um, that, yeah, so um, I'm actually connected with a, with a streaming service called Mobfi TV. And actually, it's actually run by a friend of mine, founded and uh, owned by a friend of mine who's also Im- an immigrant, by the way. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's, um, but yeah, it's called Mobfi TV, M-O-B-F-I-TV. If anybody wants to check it out, they have some great content on there. Um, but yeah, we're actually planning a documentary surrounding my book. And it's, I guess it's, it's going to be somewhat of a counter, I guess, to um, what was Hari's, the problem with Apu? Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's going to be somewhat of a counter to that documentary. So we're going to, you know, start filming things this summer. I don't know exactly when it's going to be completed, but hey, I'm, I might be in the Brooklyn area or, you know, New York area. So if you want to be in the part of the documentary, you know, do, it. do an I, interview I, or something. I would love, I would love to yeah. do it. Love to do Maybe it. we could do it at your dad's butcher shop. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be cool. Yeah, yeah that would be so, a, yeah. that would be a lot of fun. Although I don't want to, you know, he, he is a butcher. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of beef and I don't, I don't want to offend, you know, any, uh, um, any Hindus, you know, who might be like, oh, no, no. this is a travesty. <laughs> How could you do no, this? No, 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 we'll be good. Yeah. yeah. With, yeah. um, you know, with, uh, do you still have connections to, you know, family back, back home, uh, back in India itself or? Um, I mean, a little bit. I mean, there's my mom's aunt and a couple others, but it's more so my mom keeps in touch, not so much me, but uh, yeah. But yeah, my mom's older sister, my aunt is there. Yeah. I have, um, I have a good friend, um, named Samir and, um, he's in California mm-hmm. and he's been, uh, taking care of his, his grandfather who's, you know, who's ill and Samir, every now and then we'll, we'll, you know, sort of uh, check in with me about stuff happening in India. And, uh, you know, as a, as a nurse, I mean, what India is going through right now with COVID is, yeah. I mean, you know, and, it, and I, I just, you know, I just hear it, you know, through, you know, through the news, but like, my God, these numbers are just unreal. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, just insane. From what I understand, I mean, a lot of people don't even want to go to the hospital because they're like, man, I go to the hospital, it's going to be even worse. You know, the people, even people that have active COVID and are symptomatic, you know, they don't want to go to the hospital because that, you know, the, there's not enough healthcare workers to take care of the people I've heard, you know, the, you know, not a pe- not enough people to cremate those who are passing away. It's, yeah, it's pretty sad. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm glad that they're cutting off travel, you know, to India because, you know, it's, it's necessary right now. You can't, you know, you can't have that stuff spread again. Right. all over the country and it's been you know we already went through that last year is it a new um, va- is it a new variant is it a, like an india specific uh, uh yeah I'm not, I'm not really sure it's i mean i know about the second wave a lot of people are saying it's you know it was due to a lot of the 
a lot of the festivals that were going on, the the weddings and things like that, and a lot of close quarters. I mean, India is very densely populated anyway, but so yeah, I don't know. It's pretty scary, but we'll see. Yeah, my uh, my friend he had told me that, and this is like you know some months back, way before this this happened, where he said people were saying, I know COVID is something that that rich people get. It's like a rich person disease. And I was, yeah, I, was I don't like, even know what that's supposed to mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I don't. I don't know what that. You know, I, don't, I don't know what that means either. I think it's, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I have no clue. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, um, another thing I want, want to ask you about is I've uh, this this is, and, and this is only because you're Indian. This is this is the only reason. I, what's up with Indian scammers, phone scammers? What's going on? Uh, oh, I don't know. I'm. We need to do a documentary on that because. It is in parts uh, hilarious, but also, man, these guys are, they're obviously doing this stuff because they're, they're getting people, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah I get, you know, I get a, a call from a guy with a very thick Indian accent saying, hi, this is Walter Williams. And uh, <laughs> yeah. it's pretty hilarious. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't experienced any of that yet, but you're the, actually the first person that's bringing that to my attention. So yeah, I'm wondering uh, what's going on there. I mean, obviously there's a lot of, you know, Indian telemarketers, maybe some people are, uh, you know, kind of taking advantage of that. <laughs> I don't know. Well, maybe, I, know. I mean, it would be something if, if every Indian in America was on a do not call list where they were like, no, those are our, we got to protect our people in the United States, but we can, <laughs> we can call everybody, uh, uh, everybody yeah. else. What else is happening? Anything, uh, anything else? So you're a motivational speaker, a motivational speaker, or how, how yeah, do you define I, that? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've done that in the past. I haven't really been too keen on that. I've mostly been focusing on my writing career uh-huh. the last several years. So, you know, I also work as a ghostwriter. Oh, okay. Uh, so, you know, basically I write books for other people. Um, I've written a lot of eBooks. I've written a few books for some close uh, friends that um, have wanted to share their story. So that's been very interesting. Um, yeah. So I love to, you know, since I just love to write, I love to write books for other people you know, people that have always wanted to put out a book or want to write something, but just don't know how, how to do it. You know, so I, um, you know, that's one of my businesses. I work as a ghostwriter and a freelance writer. So uh-huh. that's mainly been my focus over the past couple of years. So I, um, I, this week I got my contract to write my first book. So mm-hmm. the, the, the cool. contract, the contract is being reviewed as we speak. Hopefully I will get a thumbs up from the lawyer I hired to, to read over the, the contract. Uh, it's my first book. Um, what advice do you, do you have for me? How can I, how can I write a book in four months, basically, you know, what, what do you yeah, recommend? I mean, yeah. I mean, my particular style is, um, uh, you know, I, I like to kind of outline the whole book kind of like know what the chapters are going to be and then kind of fill in the blanks. But I would say, you know, be very focused when you sit down to write, use that time only for writing. Right. And you'll be amazed at how much you can get done if you're fully focused, you know, get rid of all distractions, stay in your office or whatever, wherever you decide to write, use that dedicated space only for writing. Um, and then, you know, whatever, you know, dedicate certain times of the day or certain days of the week only for writing. And, you know, just pump out as many words and pages as you can during that time. And, you know, if you fi- have free time, like you have an hour, let's say, 
and you have nothing to do, you know, use that time to, you know, just sit in your office space and do more writing at that point and just um, make goals, like make small goals. Like, Hey, I'm going to have X amount of chapters done by this date. I'm going to have X amount of chapters done by this date or words, whatever you're going off of. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, by this, you know, four month period, I'm going to have my chapters done. I'm going to send it for editing by this date and so on. Um, But yeah, just, um, and then, you know, the cool thing about writing your own book, of course, grammar and, you know, spelling, punctuation, all that is important. But, you know, the cool thing is you're not, it's not like you're writing a college essay where you have to worry, be worried about getting graded. I mean, you can kind of write your own book in your own voice. Right. It's kind of like your own. Yeah, treat it like your own work of art, so to speak. Like, you know, I, I mean, you know, it's not like, you know, when uh, Michelangelo or, you know, or, or you know, when uh, Da Vinci painted the Mona Lisa, it was like, you know, he did it in his own way. You know, th- so think about it in his, as your own Mona Lisa or, whatever work of art you're, you, um, you know, you truly respect. So, yeah. Yeah. I and, think you know, well, don't be afraid to do it in your own word and your own voice. Yeah. Well, 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 part of me, like, that's what I'm afraid of is treating it like a work of art is treating it like Mona Lisa, because the way that I operate and, and I write articles or even when I write um, uh, articles in particular, because my, my, my sketch comedy, I'm not as, I'm not as anal about it when I'm writing scripts, but when I write articles, it's like, if I wrote, if I write 10 sentences, I have to reread those 10 sentences before I get an 11th. And then for the 12th, I got to reread the other. And it's like, I, I just keep going over and going over and finessing the language until, you know, until it, until it's done, until I'm happy with it. And I know that that method works because I've, I've used it and I have, I have proof that it works and the people who've, you know, published my stuff, but I'm just thinking about, man, the amount of time spent basically kind of having like being obsessive compulsive about, about sentences and uh, where I, I hopefully uh, when I, when I get started on, on writing it, that might be like this month, I might do, I guess what they would call a version of a vomit draft, uh, which I've done for, uh, for features, uh, feature films, where it's basically uh, structure it, you know, you have a, a basic structure outline and then it's just sort of like page one, just go, don't even go back and just keep going until, until it's done, until you have basically vomit, word vomit on a, a in book form and then go through it and finesse it. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Ankit, I want to thank you so much uh, for reaching out, uh, for, you know, for joining me here. And um, yeah, man, I wish you the best of luck with, you know, your writing career and also with the new documentary. You know, like you said, if you're, you know, in the New York area, I would love to, uh, you know, take part, even if I end up on the cutting room floor, I'm fine with that. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I'm really happy that you were able to share, you know, your experiences and the experience of your family. And, you know, we were able to, uh, to talk about a poo who I think as you, I think you really nailed it in the beginning where, you know, he's a lot more than just an accent. And there's mm-hmm. a lot, there's, uh, there's a lot of great stuff happening there. And something that I, that I wrote, in the, the piece that I wrote about, about Apu is that, you know, it's a lot easier to tear down a character like Apu than it is to create him. Um, yes. And unfortunately, I think the way things are, are going, more people are into tearing down great works mm-hmm. than, mm-hmm. you know, putting the, uh, the time in and creating them themselves. Mm-hmm.
Thank you so much for watching and or listening to my podcast. If you'd like to support my work, please head over to thelouperez.locals.com and join the Lou Perez community. And another way to support me is by supporting my sponsors, Black Organic Cold Brew. Head over to www.blbckbrew.com and use promo code Lou for free shipping. And if you're into CBD products, please check out palomaverdecbd.com. Use promo code LOU for 25% off purchases over $75. All right. Bye.